Father, as we, uh, as we explore um, baptism today and what your word has to say about it, I pray that you would open uh, all of our, our minds and hearts and, and be open to the possibility that this is what you may be calling us to do, to uh, take that step of baptism. So Lord, um, we ask that you would, would have your way with our hearts and minds. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's a question. How has God chosen to communicate with us? Now, if you are a, you've been attending Valley Brook for any length of time, your answer should be through the Word, right? Through apostles and prophets, God spoke and the words were recorded and those are inspired and we are people of the Word. And uh, we're very cautious about any other way that somebody would say God speaks, okay? And that's, that's good. I'm glad that you're... you're but I'm going to suggest that God has chosen another way to communicate to us, and that is through pictures um, or symbols. Okay, In his word, he has always given his people rituals and holidays and symbols to communicate some truth about him. Okay. For example, in the Old Testament, there was the Passover. Um, if you were Jewish, you were, your entire family was to take a lamb, kill the lamb, eat the lamb, but you were to take the blood and put it on the doorposts of your house to commemorate, to remember when they were in Egypt and the angel of death killed the firstborn of the Egyptians but those who had the blood of the Lamb covering them, the angel of death passed over them. And God gave that meal uh, as a symbol. And in fact, as he explains it, he says, your children will ask, why are we doing this? And you're to explain the symbolism. But now we know that not only did the Passover point backward, to the deliverance, to the exodus, but it points forward to Christ. All who are covered by the blood of the Lamb, God will pass over us and His wrath will not be visited on you. Right? So, He gave us the Passover meal as a picture, as a symbol to point backward and to point forward to the cross. Another picture he gave. He had the Jews build a temple. Big, beautiful temple right in the middle of Jerusalem. And what's interesting about uh, the temple, there were a series of courts that people, uh, certain people were allowed in and others were not allowed in. Now the outermost wall was the wall that kept the Gentiles out. If you were not a Jew, you had to stop at that wall and you could just look at the temple from afar, but you couldn't go any further then the Jews could go beyond that wall. Then there was the gate, um, the women's temple. They had to stop, and only the men could go further. Right? Then there was the, uh, uh, the priest's court. All the other tribes had to stop and couldn't go any further, but in the court of the priest, the priest could go further. Then in the actual building itself, there was the holy place, and a number of priests could go in there, but then there was one last room, the Holy of Holies. It was actually a cube. And the, 
the uh, Ark of the Covenant, which held the Ten Commandments, was in that box. And the glory of God uh, was over the Ark of the Covenant. Now, only one priest, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies once a year with blood from an animal sacrifice. You go, wow, that's a huge picture. What is it picture? Sinful man cannot approach a holy God without a mediator and the shedding of blood. In other words, it points to Jesus, who is our mediator. He is the one who shed his blood, and he is our high priest. That whole huge complex, multi-billion dollar complex, was just a picture pointing to Jesus. But God communicates through symbols and pictures. Now, in the New Testament, he has given us, uh, we call them sacraments. He's given us the Lord's Supper. The bread is a picture of his body. The, the cup of wine is a picture of his blood that was shed for us. But now, baptism. What does baptism picture? Today I want to explore um, what are we supposed to get out of this, this sacrament, this ritual of dunking a person in water? What does it picture? And I'm going to point out eight elements. Um, don't worry, I covered all of Romans yesterday. Um, but, but let me give you, first of all, a definition. A definition that will help us with the pictures, and the pictures will help us with the definition. But... Here's, here's a definition. Baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water to picture our forgiveness of sin and union into Christ's death and resurrection. All right, that's, a, that's a definition. But let's, let's look at the various elements and pictures. And by the way, um, why are we doing this? Well, today is baptism day, and I want to explain what baptism is. I also want as I prayed in my prayer, I I want you to be open to the possibility that God is calling you to be baptized also. Okay, be open to that. So let's, let's take a look at the first thing I want us to see. Baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water to picture our forgiveness of sin and union into Christ's death and resurrection. It's a picture. First of all, uh, I want to make sure that we understand that as important as baptism is, it is still the picture that points to a deeper reality. It is not the reality itself. The reality is when a person comes to a point of realizing Jesus is their Savior and they trust in Him and you are united to Him and you are forgiven by Him, that's the reality. That's the, uh, uh, the heart of what, what's going on. Baptism is the outward picture of that inner reality. Why is it important to distinguish between the picture and the reality, the symbol and the reality? Well, so many people think that baptism is actually the thing that saves you. A lot of people think that baptism is what saves you. And you know where I go to settle that question, what saves us? The thief on the cross. Right? 
If there's ever been any proof that you are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by works, not anything we do, not any sacraments, not baptism, not communion, not giving to the poor, it's the thief on the cross. As Jesus is dying on the cross, there's a thief on his right and a thief on his left. We're told both of them are hurling insults at him. But one of them, right before he dies, believes in Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, I'm no theologian, but I'm piecing this together that you are the Savior. I deserve to go to hell. I'm trusting you to save me. And what does Jesus do? He turns to him and says, sorry, you haven't been baptized. You can't get in. No. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're going to heaven. Not going to purgatory. Not having to go through a bunch of rituals. You are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And that is the clear picture, the clear message uh, throughout Scripture. The baptism, though, now I've always said this, let's say that thief were taken down from the cross and he lived. And um, you would see a man with a transformed heart. True faith transforms you. And you would see him obeying the Lord. And you would probably see him getting baptized. But the baptism would be the symbol. Just like the, the ring on your finger if you're, you're married. That is the symbol. That, that's not what makes you married. That's the symbol of what makes you married. What makes me married is my vow before God and to my spouse that that um, I am marrying her, then we seal it with the symbol. Okay, You can go out and buy a ring and put it on your finger. That doesn't make you married. Or you can get married and not have enough money to buy a ring. You can have the reality of marriage without the symbol. You can have the symbol of marriage without the reality. But what God wants us to do is to have the reality of salvation by faith and the symbol which is baptism. So, point number one, it's just a picture. The reality is faith. The faith we have in Christ. Now, let me give you the second thing. Baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water. We practice what you call believer's baptism. 85% of all Christians have been baptized as a baby. Raise your hand if you've been baptized as a baby. Okay, me too. Um, People say, well, why why would you, why do you guys re-baptize? Well, here's what we would say. As we study Scripture, we see that never is a baby baptized, and it's always, always, always they believed and then they got baptized. It's never the other way around. Let's do a little, little quick study of baptism here. In Mark 1, John the Baptist is baptizing and it says, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Who were baptized? The ones who were confessing their sins. Those were not babies. Those were, I don't want to say adults because children can, can, 
can be baptized, but it's believers who got baptized. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and it says, so those who received his word, who? The ones who received his word. They comprehended and believed. These are believers. Uh, Those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Philip goes down to Samaria. He preaches the gospel to the Samaritans. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women and children. Oh, well, it doesn't say both men and women. Um, but they believed. The believers were baptized. As we go further, let me read 16 first. Paul is in the city of Philippi. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well. Now, this raises the, the issue of household baptisms. There are five or six cases of entire households being baptized. Now, in this case, we know absolutely nothing about who was in her household. But from the other cases of household baptism, we know that while the entire household was baptized, they all also believed. How do we know that? Well, here in Acts 10, uh, Peter goes to the household of Cornelius, and he preaches, and here's what happens. Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So whoever is here, he's calling for them to be baptized. All of them have received the Holy Spirit because they heard the message. And he commanded them to be baptized. Clearly, these are believers. We go on in uh, Acts 16, uh, the, the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas are in jail, and there's an earthquake and uh, the prisoners are going to escape, and the jailer's going to kill himself, because if you were a jailer and your prisoners escaped, you were in trouble. And uh, he comes rushing out, and he sees Paul didn't escape. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And he preaches the gospel to him. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, is this saying, you believe in the Lord Jesus, and then that automatically saves your whole household? No. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. The whole household was there to hear the gospel. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. His whole family was baptized because his whole family heard and believed. Acts 18.8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord Jesus together with his entire household. The entire household believed. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Believers' baptism. Acts 19.15, in Ephesus, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They heard, and then they were baptized. Okay, So, um, why do we baptize believers? Because it's only believers who are baptized in the Bible. What about the poor babies? Um, we dedicate babies. Okay? But our theology is very clear. The Bible's theology is very clear. You are saved by faith, and then the symbols follow. The symbols don't give magical faith. They don't magically save your soul. So we practice believer's baptism based on the examples and 
the commands in Scripture. Okay? Now, um, at this point, somebody might say, oh, okay, so it's only a symbol, therefore it's optional. Whether you get around to getting baptized or not, no big deal. Well, let's uh, take a look at another word. Baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water. It's not a suggestion. It is a command from the Lord of the universe that if you are a believer, you are to be baptized. Acts 10.48, and he, uh, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can I step on your toes? If you call yourself a believer, you need to be baptized. I command you by the authority of Scripture to obey your Lord and get baptized. Oh, pastor, there you go. You had to step on toes. It was a nice, comfortable Sunday, and we were going to go out to brunch, and now you stepped on my toes. But I stand under the authority of the Word of God to command you, as Peter commands you, to be baptized if you call yourself a follower. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Why would, why would you disobey? Now people say, well, you're not saved by baptism, therefore it's optional. Well, you're not saved by obeying any command, but that doesn't make the commands optional. Right? You're not saved by refraining from murder. Does that make refraining from murder? Can we now go out and murder because that doesn't save us? No. You're not saved by obeying anything. You say by faith alone, but get baptized, right? Water. Okay, now we get to the symbols. Of all the things that we could be baptized in, water is what we're to be baptized in. Could have been ketchup, could have been mud, could have been jello, but water. Why water? Well, water is a cleansing agent. It's a picture of being cleansed. From what? From dirt? No. From sin. It's an outward picture of the inward reality that when you come to Christ, your sins are washed away. When Paul was about to get baptized, it says, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now again, I want to make it very clear that it's trusting in Christ that washes away your sins. The baptism is the outward picture of that. You know what? You may be an atheist here this morning, but you long to have your sins forgiven. You long to be rid of the guilt that you may even deny you have. There was a uh, secular humanist by the name of uh, Marganita Lasky. She's being interviewed on TV. And in a moment of candidness, she said this, What I envy most about Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. Well, you're an atheist. What do you, you, you don't believe in a God. You don't believe in, in uh, actually, 
to be consistent, if you're an atheist, there is no right or wrong. Whatever right or wrong is just simply um, manufactured. It's all relative. But as the men studied in Romans, God has written His law on the heart of the unbeliever. And the unbeliever knows right from wrong. And they know that they are guilty before a holy God. And they want to be forgiven. Come to Christ who died on the cross to pay for your sins and you are forgiven. Your sins are washed away. Carl Menninger, the author of a book called Whatever Happened to Sin, he's a famous psychiatrist. He once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. In other words, he's saying guilt, very real guilt, is the reason behind much psychiatric disorder. Baptism symbolizes the reality that when you come to Christ, all those sins, are forgiven and you are right with him. Okay? That's why we baptize in water. Now, another thing baptism pictures is death. Okay? Baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water to picture our forgiveness of sin and our union into Christ's death. Here's a verse from Romans 6. Paul uh, in Romans has been preaching the gospel that here's how it works. You don't earn your way to heaven. You could never earn your way to heaven. If you are on the path of trying to be good enough to earn your way to heaven, you're in for a surprise. God's standard is perfection. So what did he do? He sent his son to die on the cross, to, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross in our place. Okay. So when you believe in him, um, you are forgiven. Now, somebody's going to respond, well, pfft. That's too easy. If you tell people that, they're going to just sin away. Right? You guys who believe you're saved by faith alone, people are going to sin away and take advantage of that. And Paul, as he's preaching the gospel, raises that very objection. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By the way, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, um, once said, you know you're preaching the true gospel when people misunderstand you to say, well, you're saved by faith alone, therefore go ahead and sin away. Because if, if that misunderstanding never comes up, you're probably not preaching the true gospel. And Paul knew it would come up, but he goes on and he says, uh, should we go ahead and sin so that grace may abound? Answer, by no means, King James. God forbid! Well, well why not? How can we who died to sin live in it? When you came to Christ, you died to sin. Sin is no longer your master. Well, how how did you die to sin? By being united to Christ who died and was put in a tomb. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you believed, and back then, the day you believed is pretty much the day you got baptized, so they mix it all together. 
he's saying, the day you believed, you were united to not only Christ the person, but his death. So, when we take a person down in the water, it is a picture of the spiritual reality that you're united to Christ when he, 2,000 years ago, was killed and put in a tomb. Now, this speaks to the larger reality that a Christian is no longer ruled by sin. Now, some of you are going, well, wait a minute. I know some of these folks who are being baptized, and they still sin. I thought if they're dead to sin, they wouldn't sin anymore. Well, um, let's put it this way. The death blow to sin was dealt. But they're still... You, know, you ever see those zombie movies? <laughs> where They just keep coming, you know. Um, but the death blow to sin has been dealt. And, and, and their life should be different, but not perfect. I always like to say it this way. When you come to Christ... Um, it's not perfection, but it is a new direction. Yes, they will still sin. But their heart is in a new direction. They will not be sin, sinless, but they will sin less. Right? Okay. So, why do, we, why do we put them down into a pool of water? It's a picture of their union into Christ's death. Okay. Now, in some cases, we actually bring them out of the water. Which is a picture of being united to Christ's resurrection. Um, Christ's death and resurrection. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, in studying Romans this week, I have always taken this to mean that you're united to Christ, his death becomes your death, and now you live in the power of a new life. Now, theologically, that's true, but um, one of the commentators said, this is not just referring to the Christian life that you live now, it is referring to your future resurrection. You are united into Christ's death, and you are united into his resurrection, so one day you too will be raised literally from the dead. Okay? Um, here's how it works in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Christ died and rose. All who are in him, all who believe in him, you are guaranteed that you will also be literally resurrected from the dead with a new perfect body and you will live for eternity in his presence. Okay? Are you sure that you know where you're going when you die? Are you sure that you will be resurrected to life and not resurrected to eternal death? You say, well, I don't think you can know. 
John thinks you can know. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some people say, well, if you think you can know that you have eternal life, that's arrogant. No, it's not. It's only arrogant if you think the way you get eternal life is by being a good person. If, if you have to earn your way to heaven to get eternal life, and I walk around saying I'm going to heaven, yes, I'm arrogant. But if you know that you're not saved by you being a good person, but you're saved by Jesus being a good person, and you trusting in Jesus, and you get his death and you get his resurrection, that's not arrogant. In fact, it's arrogant not to believe you're going to heaven because you're saying you know better than what the Word of God says. If you trust in Christ, you're united to Him. Okay, I, I put it this way. On Judgment Day, I stand before God. He says, why should I let you into heaven? My answer, you shouldn't. I do not deserve to be here at all, but I'm with Him. Come on in. So our baptism is a picture of our union into his death where we die to sin and a union into his resurrection where we are guaranteed eternal life with Christ. Okay? Public. Baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water to picture our forgiveness of sins. Okay? Um, it, it really is not to be done privately by yourself in your bathtub. And um, even the most private baptism in the Bible is the Ethiopian eunuch. But the Ethiopian eunuch, he's traveling with, with Philip. But he's, uh, he's an official. He's got a chariot. There are witnesses there. Um, it is a public proclamation that I am unashamed to be identified with Christ. Jesus says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Um, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you on Judgment Day. If you're unashamed of me, I will be unashamed of you. Now, let me say this. Some of, some of you... <laughs> Some of you walked into this building today and you go, all right, I'm here, what's, a, what's all this? And now so you're like, you're being pressured to get, I better get in the tank today. And, no, <laughs> there, I want you to, to study this and to think this through. I always tell people, it's important to be baptized. Why wouldn't you be baptized? Well, don't get baptized if you're just doing it out of pressure. Do it because it's right and you're ready to get baptized. But... Here's, here's a, there's, a, there's a fine line between saying, I'm not ready to get baptized because what would people think? That's wrong. It's another thing to say, I'm not ready to be baptized because I need to just really think it through. I need to study it. I need to be sure that this is... This. I was raised in a church where they did baptize me as an infant, and now I've never been exposed to this. Let me now that's fine. Take your time. Study that. But there are people who've been studying this in their entire life. And really the issue is they're ashamed. Okay? Um, these are courageous people today who are saying, I have friends, I have family, 
who are not going to understand this. But I'm going to do it anyways. I am unashamed to identify publicly with Jesus. All right, one last thing. Immersed. Uh, baptism is Jesus' command for all believers to be publicly immersed in water. Now, um, immersion, I'm going to sound like just a real Baptist here. You know. uh, <laughs> immerse, the word baptizo, it means to dip in. It mean, it, the word baptism means to immerse. doesn't mean to sprinkle. doesn't mean to dab. doesn't need, mean to sneeze on. It, doesn't, you know, it means to immerse fully in water. Why? Why, why do we do the full immersion thing? Well, the picture of death and resurrection, how else would you do it? But there's another thing. Immersion is a picture of I'm all in. Not just dedicating my foot to the Lord or my hand to... I am my entire life, I am all in. I love this little cartoon of the guy being baptized, but he's not my wallet. <laughs> Everything but my wallet is going to the Lord. Okay, no. Immersion says, I am all in. Choose this day whom you will serve. I choose to be all in for Jesus. Okay? So let me, let me end with that. The, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died to pay for your sins. He lived a perfect life in your place. And all who turn to Him in faith and repentance, you're turning away from your sin, turning to Him in faith. His life, His perfect life is given to you. Your sin is transferred to the cross and you are declared righteous. And baptism is the outward symbol. So on this baptism day where these people are publicly standing up and saying, I am unashamed. Let me, let me end with this, this call. In Joshua 24, he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Okay, If you don't want to serve the Lord, who are you going to serve? Choose your idol and serve your idol well. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, whom, uh, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in 1 Kings, Elijah, he's got all the, the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, along with all the people of Israel who are worshiping the false prophets. And he says this, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions. Everybody else is going to the Baal party. I'm going to go to the Baal party. Well, I guess we're, we're Jews, so we should serve the truth. I don't know. I don't know. How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. Notice, they're like, it's black or white, hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm in the middle. I'm kind of a Christian, but I don't want anybody to know. 
Choose this day whom you will serve. And what did the people do? The people did not answer him a word. They were too concerned with what one another would think. But Elijah says, Joshua says, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for these folks who are getting baptized today. Thank you for the work that you're doing in their hearts. Uh, Thank you for their courage. But ultimately, Lord, what we are most thankful for is the cross um, where you paid for our sin. The debt was wiped clean and we can rejoice that there's a day of resurrection coming and we are right with you. Lord, as we... uh, as we move forward in this day and as these folks get baptized, I pray that Jesus' name would be glorified. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.